Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friday, the 15th of October, and uh, I'm going to lead off with a question this morning. You know, the traditional question that I ask every morning is, where in the Word are you today? So I will faithfully and dutifully ask the question, and I will keep asking the question, seeking to provoke each and every one of us to be in the Word of God, allowing the Word of God to find its home in us, transform the way that we think about ourselves and the world and everything in it. Um, before we get out into the world that God so loves. So uh, that is always at the forefront and top of the list. Here's my second question for you this morning. Is convictional religious belief and are people of convictional religious belief, are we the problem? Are people of religious belief, convictional religious belief, are we the problem? Is the problem in the culture today, is the problem in the world today, those of us who are living a so-called integrated religious life, are we the ones who are the troublers of the social order? Are we the problem? Let me ask the question another way. Is society served when its people have religious convictions that are expressed in every arena of life. Now pause there and take note of the fact that I used the term religious conviction. I didn't say is society served when its people have Christian convictions that are expressed in every area of life. I didn't say is society served when its people have Judeo-Christian convictions that are expressed in Every area of life. I didn't say is society served when its people have a biblical or redemptive convictional view expressed in every area of life. I said, is society served when its people have a religious conviction expressed in every area of life? Depending on the religion, your answer to the question is going to be different. That is the conversation that's actually taking place in quiet. And I think it deserves some light. Uh, And so if you want to look with me at what the world around us is saying about those of us who operate out of religious conviction, um, you can find an article at religionnews.com that asks the question, is God good for America? So that's an even broader question. It's the question of whether or not Americans see religion as good for society. And ultimately, is God good for America? There, is a, there are a significant number of people, significant number of people, who think that God is not. And they therefore believe that those of us who believe in God, who live as if 
God is actually God. Well, if you don't believe in God, if you think that God is not, then you think that those of us who believe in God and who have adopted a Christian worldview and are living it out in every arena of life, you think we're crazy. And you think, yes, we are bad for society and the social order because we're, we're deluded. So if you sincerely believed that God was not real, that God was not real, then you would also believe that those who believe in God are deluded. And you would have no problem calling them out as crazy fanatics, seeking to bar them from public discourse, certainly seeking to bar them from elected public leadership. And out of genuine concern for children and the future of society, you would want their children to be educated in public schools where you could teach them what you perceive to be the truth, which is that their parents are crazy because God is not real. You would prevent their parents from teaching. After all, they're crazy. And kids need to be protected from all of that delusion. Okay, so you see where this is headed, right? And we, not, we may not be there yet, but that's definitely where we're headed, short of a national spiritual awakening. So as you read the headlines today that Labor Secretary Pete Buttigieg is on paternity leave with his husband, Chasen, and their uh, two um, adopted babies that they came to be the parents of through surrogacy. And as you read the headlines or hear the headlines today that a dad in Virginia is fighting for his civil rights against a local school district, um, which allowed biological boys who identify as female into restrooms where his 15-year-old daughter was raped in May. And as you read that our pro-abortion president, who identifies as Roman Catholic, is going to have a personal audience with the Pope in Rome after the equally pro-abortion Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, who also identifies as a Roman Catholic, had a private audience with the pontiff last month. Yeah, as you read those headlines, let us be praying for spiritual revival in this land. Such are the days in which we live. Walter Strickland is up next. He and I are going to talk about... The growing percentage of the U.S. population living alone and what that means both for faith and life. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Dr. Walter Strickland. Uh, He teaches at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and the Strickland Institute. You can find him online at walterstrickland.com. Walter, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's a joy to be with you again. It's it's lovely to have you. So I I really want to roam around with you in um in in these numbers in this Pew Research uh, in these Pew Research (laughs) findings that say that Americans. Uh, marital and living arrangements have changed considerably over the past 30 years and that the share of U.S. adults, 25 to 54, who are currently married, um, fell to 53 percent in 2019. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people cohabitating or living in uh, in other kinds of uh, arrangements. But when we're talking about God's design, one man and one woman married, having children as the basic building blocks of of a social order, um, we have turned that upside down in America, and I think that has consequences. 
Yeah, I, I would agree 100. percent And and I think that after multiple generations of this trend, we'll really see the implications because that trend will happen faster and faster because uh, children have less and less of an idea about what it means to actually be in a sort of nuclear family as the Bible intended it, as a one of the fundamental building blocks of society, along with church and, and government. But really, the church and the family are the cornerstones of what God has put in place to keep us in these regular rhythms of uh, being in relationship with one another. So let's, um, you know, let's let's take a view of how, or let's study for a moment um, how God intended it to be, how He designed it. You know, sort of taking um, taking the lesson of, you know, let's be sure we know what the right thing that we should be looking at, that we should be doing is. Um, and then take a look at sort of how that has, how we have broken ourselves against that uh, in culture today. So, you know, what is God's design for human life, human flourishing, human culture, human community? Yeah, and, and, and that's and that's the question that we have to explore that we often just sort of gloss right over because we assume it. And when you assume it in one generation, it's sort of very quickly forgotten. And so if we look at even what it means to be a human person, we throw around this term Imago Dei, but we very rarely define it. And I think one way that we uh, can see it expressed is human relationality, which is just basically a fancy word for saying that humans have the capacity to be in relationship with one another. And I think it's it's expressed in a variety of, of relationships, but the primary avenue of expressing that is within uh, a family, but particularly in marriage. Not to say that those who are uh, not married are unable to express their image-bearing capacity, but what I am saying is that you'll really have to look for opportunities to do so, lest we be diminished into being simply those who are uh, driven by achievement and work and are identifying and seeing those other things as the sole core uh, of who we are as, as human persons, because we are to work, we are to do uh, those things. But I think in our society, we've made an idol out of those things. We made an idol out of uh, sexuality. We made an idol out of, you know, uh, having autonomy, uh, this individuality. And those things have begun to run amok. And we see this as an implication, or this these new statistics by Pew Research, as a sort of an implication of all of that. So this is a really uh, a cocktail of things. But suffice it to say is that God has given us these fundamental building blocks. And uh, I think we're really seeing the fact that broken homes, generation after generation, are beginning to just become the norm. And people's expectations aren't even healthy ones uh, as much anymore. Because, And then it's expressed in, as you said, cohabitating and other sort of living arrangements. And so I, I really do think that as we get farther and farther from the scriptures, there's this uh, a lack of assumption of what God has actually put forth in his world to help arrange us in an in environment for us to flourish. So I think that marriage um, has historically borne this, um, you know, sort of borne the burden of demonstrating in real time for uh, for children, for for parents and then for children, what this is supposed to look like. I feel like, Walter, when we come back from a very brief break, I'd love to explore how the church, as the bride of Christ and as the family of God, um, has a real opportunity to 
redeem the brokenness that people have experienced in their own homes, um, to redeem marriage for those who did not grow up in families where there was a mom and a dad, um, to redeem marriage for those uh, who grew up um, with divorced parents or who are living in that circumstance now. I think there's a redemptive moment for the church to demonstrate something in the culture that, um, you know, she may need she may need some help finding her feet in that, but I think it's it's clearly her calling. So can we have that conversation when we come back? For sure. I'd love to. All right. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Walter Strickland. We're talking about singleness in America today, but we're also talking about the opportunity that the church has to uh, be the family of faith in these days. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. We need a strong God. Yeah. We need the real God. Talking with Dr. Walter Strickland from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. You can find him at walterstrickland.com. Walter, talk with us about the church. Talk with us about the calling of the church, the church as the bride of Christ, the church as the family of God, um, and sort of the redemptive power that offers in the culture today, um, where many, many people did not grow up in intact families and are living now as single people? Sure. You know, I I really love how in the church, we really do have an opportunity to uh, do two primary things, to love people, which loving people means that we are uh, pursuing them with, you know, the the love of Christ, uh, despite how they have treated us or responded to us. And this is really an implication of the fact that we have been changed by Christ. When we have been wayward from Christ, when we have, um, you know, not been faithful to him, he's been faithful to us. And then we have the opportunity to extend that same kindness and love to others in the church context. So we have the opportunity to love and then be loved. And so even when we are, you know, those imperfect people who are not worthy of love, those who are around us have the opportunity to do that. So in that environment, we really have the opportunity to demonstrate what family is like. I, I love the fact that the Greek word for that we often translate family in the New Testament, its larger range that you could use it for is clan or or kin or household. And that means that if you are, you know, a, a family who is intact, you know, a, a family that is doing its best to live out God's design for family, that is not that is not your only responsibility. There are people who are around you, near you, who you can also bring into that environment, demonstrating what it means to actually live out this uh, this this mandate to be those who love each other, care for each other, and all those other one another's of the New Testament. Yeah, I think when you talk about church as kinship or church as household, it helps us um, broaden the conversation uh, and and have conversations with people, you know, for whom family um, can kind of be a complicated mess of a conversation as a starting point. Um, But everybody wants to be a part of a household. Everybody wants to, you know, find their place in a people group. And the kinship that's offered in the context of church, um, you know, if I really do treat these as my mother and my brothers, as Jesus says, you know, like when it's not necessarily about your family of origin and your relationship to those individuals going forward. It's about brothers and sisters in Christ, um, recognizing we're going to spend all eternity together. And anybody who's not in this household, 
um, who's not engrafted into the body of Christ, into the family of believers in the household of God through Christ, you know, is they're not going to be the people with whom we spend all eternity. And so that should break my heart for the lost in a new way as well, because I want other people to um, to experience what I experience as a member of the church, the household of faith, the body of Christ. Yeah, that's so true. This this idea of belonging is so important. If we take, if we broaden the conversation just a moment to to sort of illustrate, you know, if you have somebody from a Muslim background, or if you have somebody from you know a background where the if they become a Christian, they lose their family in a real sense. Who who is that, that family for them now? Well, it's the church, and I think that um, in America we focus so much on. Uh, in the church, we focus so much on familial units that we really lose the fact that we are to be this, you know, we are a family of God. And, you know, seeing the opportunity to help with those who have lost family because of their commitment to Christ or who have been a part of broken homes. And, um, you know, I I think just to use a a personal example, both my parents come from broken homes, but they came to know Christ uh, in college. And then now they are a beacon of light to me and my cousins of my generation as one of the long, the lone standing intact marriages, which has then inspired a generation, myself, my sisters, who by God's grace married godly men, and also my cousins, their nieces and nephews, to actually have a semblance of normalcy, biblically speaking, as far as their families. And so they've taken a responsibility for not only their own sort of nuclear family, but seeing beyond that as well to bringing people into their larger family as a means of showing the grace and the patience and the love and the, you know, and the, and the, and the self-seeking or the uh, selfless nature of what it means to be a believer. Yeah, I feel like those stories um, need to get more airtime, right? We need to, we need to hear the testimony of, of those who, you know, recognize not only their own brokenness, like broken individuals, but broken individuals from broken homes who've been individually redeemed and then as redeemed people are living in redeemed marriages and that as a redemptive witness, uh, not only to their own children, but beyond their own uh, their own family into the family of faith. Like, I think those are stories that need to get more airtime. Um, so thank mm-hmm. you so much for sharing that testimony about your own um, about your own parents today. Um when we talk about the way that we undermine the foundation that God laid, uh, you know, for the building blocks of the social order, we talk about undermining uh, marriage. We talk about undermining the family. We talk about undermining the church. I feel like we are well on our way um, here in the United States of America to having undermined our own social order. Can you talk about maybe one thing that each of us could do today to strengthen what remains? Wow, that, that's a that's a profound question. This, and it's hard for me to even think of one thing, but I'll just try to narrow it down. And um, so, I and, and this this sounds so basic. And a lot of the answers that I've been giving to these really robust questions that are asked to me like this are are essentially basic Christianity. I think those who are in Christ, if we have a consistent witness uh, of living the life of Christ out in community, I think that'll actually as we were saying before, be the story that is told of people. Because as it gets more dark in our culture, spiritually speaking, those who are striving to humbly live 
uh, a Christ-like life are going to shine all the more, even if we're not doing it perfectly. perfectly. So if we're living uh, in a community of believers and trying to selflessly love people, and, that, and, that, and that's the key, selflessly love people, because I think what happens in our society today is that we, we are selfish with offering love to people, but we have a God who not only loves to love us, but there's no end to his, the selflessness of his love. He continues to pursue us. He continues to be after us. And, and I think <clears throat> that we misunderstand God's love with the love of somebody who's broken our hearts because we saw that there was an end to the desire to love us. But Christ is so different. So if we can embody that in the communities that we live in, in the churches that, we're, that we live in, then I do think that people will stop seeing Christians as, as those who are breaking things, but those who are mending things. Mm. Let's be the people who um, bear positive public witness today to the reality that we know in Christ Jesus and uh, and let us continue to humbly live the Christ life in the encroaching darkness of our generation. And let's do so in community with one another, um, strengthening what remains. Walter Strickland, as always, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your time today. Thank you again for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, let me just go ahead and say uh, this program is not a production of artificial intelligence. I am not a bot. Paul Perot actually got up this morning and drove himself to the studio and is pushing actual buttons. But, you know, there are those who think this whole thing that we're living in is really just a simulation cast upon us by our own future generations. Yeah, we're going to unpack all that with Dan DeWitt. It's part of the Weekend Worldview Reader. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Man, girls can be brutal to each other. I mean, wow. What happened to that sweet little princess you once knew? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. In a world where young ladies are pressured to present themselves older than they actually are, competition breaks out, mean words are exchanged, and what do we have? Drama, drama, drama. Mom, Dad, you can't always stop the damage, but you can counter the effects when your daughter is hurting. Here's some pointers. Send her encouraging notes or text. Buy her something new when she's not expecting it. Dad, take her on a date. Above all else, teach your daughter to respect people, including herself. Let her know that you'll always love your sweet little princess, even amidst the drama. Want to hear Mark in person? For a list of upcoming events, go to parentingtodaysteens.org. DeWitt is back. I want to direct you to Theolatte.com and the Weekend Worldview Reader, but I have a surprise for Dan this morning because it oh, was no. only posted an hour ago, and so there's no way that you have heard this. But first of all, there was a real-life wizard, wizard on the payroll, the public payroll, 
for years in Christchurch, New Zealand. He's been on the payroll since 1982. He's now 88, and he's officially out of a job. So the headline in the BBC this morning is Christchurch, New Zealand City parts ways with its wizard. I just feel like this is something that you potentially need to consider examining. Because, first of all, that a city had an official wizard is amazing. And there's this. Apparently, it's the only city to have had an official wizard. And so I believe that there will now be cities far and wide who say to themselves, there is now the opportunity to be the only city in the world with an official wizard. And I think this is worthy of conversation. I think so, too. And this is very Harry Potter-esque, I'm feeling. I know. And Tolkien-esque, yeah. Right? Right? No, exactly. (laughs) He has been declared a living work of art by the New Zealand Art Gallery Directors Association. Um, He is now considered um, well out of sync with the the ways of the of the postmodern world. So he's been particularly criticized um, for his remarks about women. So, you know, yeah. he's a wizard of a particular generation and an era, and he is now out. That's what I have like for a, you this morning in our leadoff. He's like a medieval wizard then. Yeah, yeah. He says, <laughs> um, uh, they may stop paying me, but they would have to kill me to stop me. <laughs> dun, dun, dun! <laughs> okay, there you go. That's what I have for you in my in my uh, in my tease up for the weekend worldview reader. What do you have in the weekend worldview reader that you want to talk about today? Well, you know, I just posted moments ago a video from last night. So I did an interview with KB, award-winning Christian hip hop artist and all-around great guy. We had a great conversation last night about faith and art. Um, I have a couple other articles there that I've written. One of them is about a tweet from The New Yorker, and they shared an article from a few years ago um, that you referenced you know, prior to the commercial break that we could be living in something like The Matrix. So I wrote about I that. I um, totally article. want to talk about that. Well, let's go there. And so I also have an article about a new book by Steven Pinker about rationality. And so I asked the question, can his atheism, which he's an atheist, can it account for rationality? So I've got that and then links to a bunch of other interesting articles as well. All right. So the um, uh, your reflections on the Joshua Rothman uh, piece in The New Yorker, what are the odds we're living in a computer simulation? So, you know, give us a little bit of the backstory here and then walk us uh, walk us into the truth. Yeah, so this is... Um, It's actually a plausible scenario. It may sound crazy to you, uh, but it's a plausible scenario. We could be living in some kind of simulated reality, and all the things that we see and experience and even think and feel could be programmed into us by some greater intellect. And this is one of those things that illustrates um, how we have certain assumptions about reality that we can't prove. So we assume that the world around us is real, We can't prove that because, as this theory says, we actually could be kind of hooked up to a machine and all these things are um, being programmed into us, or we might even be hooked up to a machine at all. We might be a part of this simulated reality. There have been great minds who have found this compelling. In fact, as this article that I have a a link to in The New Yorker points out, for atheists, this is actually uh, can be appealing. This is the, the author's, the journalist's own words. Because now there's kind of a sense of awe and a sense of something greater than us that an atheist loses when they reject belief in God. And so 
can you prove that we're not living in some virtual reality? You actually can't. That's something that every person who doesn't live as though we're living in a video game, we assume that about reality. Now, for a Christian, um, we believe that the external world is real because we have more than one way to understand the world. We have bottom-up information that comes from, you know, our senses. Um, we could look out at the world and experience it. That's one way to understand the world, but we also have top-down information. So we can know true things about reality because God has revealed it to us. And so I think it's just a fascinating, Elon Musk, the uh, entrepreneur, the tech-savvy um, business mogul, is really into this theory. And the way he describes it is, you know, 40 years ago, we had Pong. That was the uh, kind of the cutting edge of our technology. Look at our video games today. Future generations are going to be so advanced, they could have recreated the past or recreated a preferred kind of model of reality, and we're stuck in it, in this virtual space. I think one of the things, Dan, that this provides is the opportunity for those of us who know God to acknowledge that those who don't know God totally want to believe that they are created, even if it's that they are created by mm. future generations. Like the the idea that someone else, something else has created the reality in which we live and even us, like that is apparently um, a provocative desire for someone like Elon Musk. He clearly wants to believe he's created. He mm. doesn't want to see himself as self-made and he doesn't want to see himself as having emerged from the ooze and the goo as an accident of, uh, right. So I think there's a, it feels like there's an evangelistic opening there, an apolo uh, you know, an apologetic opening there. Um, if, if I'm trying so hard to figure out how I could be the product of someone else's imagination, creation, desire, um, then I'm really not that far from a willingness to consider God. I, I think you're on to something with that, Carmen. I think that there's something really just fundamental and intrinsic to being creaturely, you know, a recognition that there's some transcendent source, some greater complexity, some higher intelligence that brought us into being. And whether it's a theory like this, you know, that we're living in a virtual reality, or, or even another theory that there's beyond our universe, this infinite number of randomly ordered universes that atheists would, will refer to as the multiverse. Um, in both cases, it's this notion that, you know, for us to be here, there has to be some infinitely more intelligent source that brought us into being. And for the Christian, we say, yeah, we've heard that before. And um, why is it that arguments like these are so appealing when there's actually zero physical evidence for them? And I think you're right. I think that, as King Solomon said, God has placed eternity in our hearts, and it makes us ask these kind of questions, and it makes us try and understand where we came from. And for the Christian, it's not just where, it's who we came from. I think that um, there are just so many opportunities to have conversations about uh, the reality of the created order and the reality of heaven beyond and the reality of eternal existence and um, 
and how we want to live in that. What is your preferred future? Like, I just think there are just so many opportunities um, here to to plumb the depths of conversation with people in the generation of which we are a part who are profoundly confused about identity uh, and 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 ultimate reality. So anyway, I, I just it, it's a very provocative conversation. All right. How about let's take a very brief break when we come back. Let's talk about science and the soul. Okay. Sound good? All right. Sounds That's good up next me. with Dan DeWitt. You can find uh, more about what we are talking about today at theolatte.com. It's all aggregated in the Weekend Worldview Reader. We'll be right back. Although I wish I were talking longer with Dan DeWitt about the reality of a wizard in New Zealand on the public payroll since 1982 and the reality of wizardry and, oh, we're not going there yet this morning. You know, Dan, you and I might both have to give that some thought and return to that subject later on. We might, some research might need to, right, need need to take place. Can my research be watching the Harry Potter movies? Oh, yeah. I thought it was going to be to go to Christ Church and like, right? Yeah. Hey, I like that. I I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have that kind of uh, research uh, budget here on this program. Um, All right. We're talking with Dan DeWitt. You can find him at Theolatte.com. And in the Weekend Worldview Reader, one of the things that you're going to find uh, are some of Dan's reflections on the question, can science disprove the Christian notion of the soul. Can it? No. (laughs) And um, I I think this illustrates sometimes how the Christian can and the skeptic can talk past each other and really kind of either intentionally or unintentionally misunderstand the categories of what we're talking about. And so I'll illustrate Brian Cox, who's a musician-turned-professor, says in an article that I have a link to, that science makes it plain that the soul does not exist. So we could really reduce, you know, humanity to biochemistry, to physiology. We could look at all the material components of a human. Um, But the Christian belief in the soul is not that there's some organ, as I had an atheist friend say to me one time. He said, if you can show me what organ in the body is the soul, I'll believe in it. Well, Christians believe that we're made in the image of God and that we have an immaterial soul that will continue after we die. You know, the Apostle Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's a part of us that we don't think is going to be measured in terms of brain mapping. Um, It's not going to be found in terms of, you know, dissecting a cadaver or something like that. We're going to discover the soul. But nonetheless, I think that this is kind of the way Christians need to understand. Skeptics look at our claim of the soul. They think, oh, this must be like everything else that's material in nature, and it's simply not. Um, However, I would say one of the evidences for the soul is profoundly the human experience. We live for all these immaterial values, like truth and beauty and justice and friendship and love, Well, if there's an immaterial part of us, that would seem to make sense of all of these things that we can't give a scientific explanation for. If we have an immaterial soul, that would seem to make sense of the human experience. I mean, I think that the fact that I can be um, surprised and feel 
joy and grief and longing and uh, and even imagine that I could be living in a simulation or that I could come to uh, embrace the truth that I am an eternal being living, uh, you know, a temporal human uh, or maybe I shouldn't use the word human there, a temporal, physical, uh, earthly experience. Um, I think that this is a really good conversation for us to have in preparation for conversations in the culture about abortion. Um, and the reason that I go there, Dan, yeah. is when you say that you know Christians believe that as image bearers, we acknowledge there's a part of us that's not measured by brain maps or heartbeats, and it persists mm-hmm. beyond life, and it's, it can't be measured in material ways. That's precisely why... I am pro-life from conception to natural death. Right there. That's why. Mm-hmm. I, I actually believe that a person is conceived, and once conceived, it doesn't matter that you can't yet map their brain. It doesn't matter that you can't yet hear their heartbeat. They are a person made in the image of the living God, and they are soulish. And even though mm-hmm. I can't measure them yet in material ways, and they can't live outside the womb yet, um, that that's irrelevant. They are alive in 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 God's reality, in the reality that God has made. It's it is life, and it's therefore not mine to mess around with. That that's right. It comes back to the very question of what does it mean to be human, and we're recognizing that there's something deeply, profoundly mysterious about the human experience. And if we try and reduce a human to certain measurable kind of qualities or activities, then we we realize there's something kind of repugnant about that, that being human is more than... Um, for, for example, I've got a video by Peter Singer um, on the this um, Weekend Worldview Reader, and he's talking about, you know, that there are... Um, Actually, measurable ways that some chimpanzees have a higher proficiencies than, you know, toddlers. And so, therefore, they should not be—the chimpanzee should not be treated as less than the toddler. And it might be that the chimpanzee should have even more rights. Well, we all recognize we hear that, and we think, that's not, that's not right. <laughs> There's something very wrong about that, because deep down we know that humans are more than clumps of cells, um, and we're also more than— our output, we're more than what we're able to produce or accomplish. We are at our very core, as you said, soulish, body and soul. And so this article is is a good example of someone who's trying to make sense of the human experience from a purely just scientific standpoint, and it's a good reminder that you can't do it. The limits of that um, don't take you very far, because most of us live for far more than what science can ever classify for us. Mm. That's so good. What are you doing this weekend? I am hanging out with one of my very best friends in the world. He and his family are staying with us this weekend. Their daughter is checking out Cedarville University. So we paired it together with our fall break so we can have plenty of time just to chill and, yeah, hang out. I love that. And watch the Harry Potter series and write some really profound <laughs> reflection or post some really profound uh, profound reflection on um you know, maybe applying for the job. Like, right, they need a new wizard. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's someone listening right now. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd be a wizard. good wizard, and and right? not one that believed in all the. You know, I would be a Bible believing, kind hearted, neighborly mm-hmm. wizard. <laughs> well, it does it does provoke the it does provoke the question, um, of a state sponsored religion, does it not? Yeah, that's a good point. I, that's a very. I good mean, point. I, I certainly since 1982. Christchurch, New Zealand has had a state-sponsored religion because they have had a wizard on the payroll. There you go. For those of you who needed a, uh, a religious liberty approach to the conversation, since you're always, um, you know, prodding me to make the connection between Christianity and the headline news, there it is. There you have it. All right, Dan, you've got to leave it right Oz? there. Huh. A town of Oz somewhere, and they would need a wizard. That would make sense. The Surely the town of Oz has a wizard. I don't know. There, that's a research. Could you just, don't you have like research people, like, you know, students um, who you can assign things to? I'm on Google yeah. now. <laughs> global global research. All right. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. That's See Dan you. DeWitt. You can find him at theolatte.com. Check out the Weekend Worldview Reader. We'll be right back. All righty. Um, this has been quite a... Uh, quite a day, quite an hour. Uh, It's already been quite a week, but we have another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We are going to talk with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In about Superman, the next generation of Superman. Um, If you haven't already heard about that, well, it is, um, there's a lot of there there. And then um, Calvin Cochran is going to be with us. He was the former fire chief of Atlanta that lost his job because, well, he not only believed but had the conviction to teach that God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman. And for that, he lost his job. Uh, God has uh, presented Kelvin with a great opportunity to help others who are now in those same fires of religious persecution here in the United States of America, and we're going we're to talk about that as well. All right, if you haven't been in the Word, get in the Word today before you get out there into the world that God so loves, and let me know where in the Word you are. You can always text me during the program at 877-933-2484. Check out what we're doing online at MyFaithRadio.com if you haven't done so already. Today is a great day to um, to recommend your pastor to receive a free retreat to the Billy Graham Cove in North Carolina. Our pastors need it, and it is Pastor Appreciation Month. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.